This is a Clark University podcast. Guess who's back? RFU contains grown-up themes and occasional coarse language when they get carried away. Please take care while listening. Hi, professors. This is Blake Boyle, a first-year student in Screen Studies 101 at Clark University. Recommended for you this week is the film Bros from 2022, made in the U.S. and directed by Nicholas Stoller. The film stars Luke McFarlane, Guy Branham, and Billy Eichner of Billy on the Street fame, who also co-wrote the screenplay. I am recommending this film for you because it shed light on the reality of being a gay man in America, whether it be through dating apps, friends, parties and clubs, or just on the street, Billy Eichner gave a perspective only now being represented more, which is the vulnerable side of queer love. He tackled genuine issues faced within the LGBT community, such as hookup culture, internalized homophobia, intersectionality, white privilege, and the ability to express his sexuality. He did all of this, of course, with his confrontational and sarcastic humor, which I found to make it all the better. This. This. This is recommended for you. For you. For you. A podcast where Clark University Screen Studies professors watch and discuss films suggested by the. 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 Community. Alrighty. RFU in the house. I'm Rock Sauer. I'm Soren Sorensen. I'm Hugh Mannon. We're here to talk about bros. Bros. Bros, where you're talking about bros. Written by Billy Eichner and Nicholas Stoller, and directed by Nicholas Stoller, starring Billy Eichner as Bobby, a 40 year old Jewish gay podcaster, author, and director of the soon to open National LGBTQ History Museum. He is declaredly happy to be single at the start of this film, disinterested in relationships. And he soon meets Aaron, played by Luke McFarlane, uh, a waspy gym gay and a state lawyer, equally happy with casual sex and group sex in particular. The two form an unlikely pairing as they continue to hang out, bro, um, and vacation <laughs> in P-Town on their second date. Very lesbian, though not <laughs> dating. Um, Real conflict ensues months later at the winter holidays when Aaron's parents and brother come to town and he asks Bobby to quote-unquote tone it down, Um, aka stop being so flamboyant, stop talking about HIV prevention and routes to the 1976 (laughs) Dyke March despite no march existing until 1993, as we all know. The final straw is when Bobby lets slip that Aaron is miserable in his life to his mother. The two spend some time apart before getting back together at the opening of the LGBTQ plus history museum. Bobby proposes they try dating for three months before reassessing. And the movie ends three months later, them both agreeing it's going all right. Another thing that should perhaps be noted that in addition to Eichner and McFarland, this film is filled to the brim with queer icons uh folks like guy branham bowen yang t.s mazin harvey firestein simone Dilo, and of course deborah messing i have lots of thoughts <laughs> feeling um of course was very grateful to have the opportunity to watch this gay rom-com i was one of the bad gays who meant to see it in the theater but didn't make it um, but here we are now. But I'm curious, yeah, initial thoughts, impression from you two. Yeah, I mean, so the thing you just said, right, which is the, the well-known, uh, if you're listening to this in uh, 2022, the, the well-known critique that Billy Eichner 
made of the audience because the uh, box office receipts were not apparently what he expected. And the initial kind of claim was that the straights didn't come out for this <laughs> film, right? And I think, you know, that's an interesting thing. Um, and, and then, you know, there's all sorts of discussion about that after the fact. But the way this film is framed, like the, f- the, the first... So, of course, I heard that this film was being made because he was all over Bravo months in advance saying that this film was scripted, it's being shot, all that. So I knew of the film. But the first I heard of it in any kind of meaningful way was had to do with that critique. And it really raises the question in my mind about, like, who this film is for. So, like... I. It is this like one thought that occurred to me as I watched it, and I'll just toss this out there, is that, you know, for all the talk of thruples in the film, you know, in a sense, like the third in the thruple of this film is straight viewership. Like, I think there's this sense in which the film presents itself outwardly to an audience that is not the constituents of the film. So in some ways, like it feels to me like it's angled for us, like this is a weird way to put it, but for like a straight gaze. Um, and maybe that's part of the issue <laughs> for is, a straight gaze, not straight gaze. It's impossible to say that the right way. Yeah, I know. Straight gaze for straight gaze. <laughs> either either work actually. <laughs> In my first Lacan seminar, the the professor kept referring to the gaze, and I was like, "What? <laughs> Why are you saying? Please stop saying that." The gaze, and I didn't realize he was saying G A Z E. But at any rate, is that possibly what's up here? Like, there's something going on with this film in terms of the way it's positioning itself with respect to the audience that I think is, you know, it's like it feels odd at every turn. Well, I wanted to add to the to the some of the stuff that Rox had mentioned. I'm glad Hugh that you brought up this critique of the audience, um, which I have I have strong thoughts about that I'll try to govern. Um, I I think disappointment in you know, box office projections and like how good a film can do and that it's, it's time for a film like this or, you know, whatever it is. Um, we also have to, you, you mentioned rocks, all of these um, queer icons that are in this film. Um, there's also one straight icon that is really involved in this film, which is Judd Apatow um, who produced this. And before I, I had forgotten that, although his name is sort of on the poster and in the marketing um, and, and on, on the, you know, in the middle of watching this for this for a second time, I sort of clicked the the pause button to see how how long was left, and I said, "Gosh, this really reminds me of a Judd Apatow movie." Um, you know, it's trying to do way too many things, um, and it's only doing one of them well or two of them well, and it's doing six things or seven things. Um, then I thought, okay, well, yes, absolutely fine. You know, rake straight people over the coals for not going to this film, but you know, straight people didn't go see The King of Staten Island either, which is Judd Apatow's last film. Um, and and just just looking at numbers, just pulling up numbers on IMDb, like. The budget for for Bros was twenty two million dollars, and its box office was fourteen point seven million. The budget for The King of Staten Island was thirty five million dollars, and its box office was two point two million. Cool. So I don't know what Billy Eichner was expecting exactly out of it, any, any audience, but people aren't going to the movies the way they used to anymore, and they certainly aren't going to this type of movie anymore. So this this movie might have missed its its window in a way, or or maybe its windows in the future, but it's not. It didn't really come out at the right time for it to make a big splash at the box office. Yeah, and I'm you know it's. Yeah, I agree. It's like for me, I mean, I'm not one of those sorts of film bros that like keeps such a careful eye on the box office. But I imagine all of it's being thrown through a loop in pandemic times. And I know Tar is having like an unusual release where it did very well early on. 
in its limited release. And then in that attempt to open it up and go wide, um, the momentum isn't continuing. So I feel like the divide between like the giant overblown blockbusters that people are showing up for and paying big money to see in theaters and everything else is huge, even as at the top of everything else, things like this and things like Tar are like so not what indie or I don't know, when smaller pictures, like they're big for small pictures with these casts um, and these like talent, you know, huge teams behind them. But uh, yeah, I yeah, mean, I mean it, it, this could have been done more modestly and done quite well on the streaming service, I feel like. And, oh, and maybe I, it I will agree. do and quite it, well. In its... And it is doing, it probably yeah. is doing good business on a streaming service. In fact, I bought it for $20, <laughs> which was more than my movie ticket would have cost. And yeah. this is going largely to the filmmakers. So I, it's, it's sort of... You know, yeah, I wonder. I wonder if just even looking at box office and budget numbers don't make any sense anymore because we're in a totally different um, world, or we're just crossing a border right now, and those those numbers don't make any sense. Um, but I, I just don't know what he expected. Like, what, yeah. what was he? What was? A, what would have been a good opening weekend? This film wasn't going to make a hundred million dollars or fifty million dollars. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I do think the film is trying to not be what we're saying it maybe is, which is in its very like self-reflexive, self-aware opening um, where Bobby is sort of, you know, take fielding questions on his podcast and taking us into these like fictionalized rooms where he's being invited as a character to write a gay rom-com that will appeal to the straights um, that like straight boyfriends will go see with their girlfriends. And he's making fun of the vision of what that would entail and what would be necessary and insisting that he's this character is not the person to write a love is love is love uh, movie. And so we're being told that the one we're watching is not that. And I think there are ways that that's true. Um, there are, you know, Bobby does have compelling political moments. And this is a film committed to showing like queer culture and queer sex in particular in a way that's like very explicit for it in comparison to other like straight seemingly straight oriented gay fair of the recent past so i i see it working against at least what the most cliche version of <laughs> of such a film would be while also i don't know it, it, i feel like it's part of the struggle is that it's doing a really delicate balancing act where it's trying to make those of us <laughs> queer people who are skeptical about such a project happy and appease us with some queer humor and queer icons um references while also still giving us that same thing like it's 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 a little weird and i felt really awkward and uncomfortable my first time through it largely on the rom-com front like, I was not especially sold the first time, too, on this romance. And because of the self-awareness at the start and the humor, which is, it is a quite funny movie. Um, I thought on my first watch that it was a parody. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I didn't feel like I was watching a rom-com about two gay men. I was watching like a parody yeah. of a rom-com, which is like a very weird thing in and of itself because rom-coms are so, you know, the conventions are so set. So when yeah. when are they like 
doing the rom-com thing versus like doing the rom-com thing in air quotes right mm, but yeah. i don't know the heart the heart of it was what was i don't like in in sort of the wrangling of what to do <laughs> yeah um the the big feels were were difficult to to get to because everything felt like a landmine sort of i mean if you kind of take a, if you take the content out of it which is a weird thing you can't really extricate content from the form of the film <laughs> but if you do take the content out of it and just sort of think of shapes right think of the way things appear on screen think of the way things sound it's incredibly conventional right so this is not even a film that i i can't even recall like a single jump cut like things that are just standard in modern film contemporary filmmaking um that are kind of f weirdly formalistic and make the film seem hip and kind of i don't know what like uh, energized. Uh, this film lacks all those things. And so what you get is very standard. So you'll get some pretty extreme content, I think, for a, an average mainstream audience member. And if you think of the sex scenes in particular, yeah, for sure. But the way they're shot is very conventional. The way it sounds, you know, it's it's really bad. Like at the level of like ADR, it's really badly done. Like it doesn't yeah. even... Like, I can't even, I'm not even convinced ever that I'm hearing their actual voices on screen. <laughs> yes. Like, it's all just ADR in a booth. And it kind of, you know how the sound kind of floats on top of the images, but it doesn't really yeah. feel like it's anchored to the images? Like, the whole thing is that way. Yeah. And so, in some ways, like, it just struck me as an incredibly conventionally done portrayal of content that people would not otherwise, generally speaking. Now, I'm not talking about every audience member, but average mainstream audience members of a sort don't see this type of content and you know it's it's the sex scenes but it's also what's being discussed mm. right so it's, it's like it, it's what's coming out in words is which is almost more shocking i think than in some ways the sex scenes by yeah. the way and I, yeah. I just want to add one more thing about the sex scenes the sex scenes nine times out of ten are played for laughs yeah yes. the shot where they're yeah. conversing naked from the waist up and then the camera sort of backs up or tracks down and there's two <laughs> guys up. like doing oral on the two guys that were in the initial shot that's pretty that's really shot like i didn't know that that was what was going to happen at all what does it say about me that i did <laughs> i, I want to talk about the humor and the sex scenes because i think there's two different levels to it like i actually found that moment really particularly funny um, that 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 they were having this like well I had a really nice night and, or a nice day and I did too but actually the thing that's happening is the is the thing that Billy Eichner's character doesn't really want to happen right it was this group sex situation which he's sort of been been talked into or whatever um, but but I I there to the to the idea that the film is trying to do something subversive or experimental and then just not not getting there I think there were some moments in the first. Um, the first act, like, you know, where he's telling his podcast, the, the caller into his show, his radio show or his podcast um, the, about having, you know, tried to sell a movie. And this is how it went. And I really liked how they they used his voice. I mean, to, I'm not talking about ADR. I'm talking about actual, um, you know sort of diegetic sound, but he's voicing over a scene that we're seeing. So yeah. he's in a room with a movie executive yes. and, and he's doing the voices for both of the characters, but he's doing it in his inimitable way. These big movie producers came to me and said, we want you to write a rom-com about a gay couple, something the whole world would enjoy, something that a straight guy might even like and watch with his girlfriend. I said, something a straight guy might like? Like what exactly? Am I gonna be in the middle of some high-speed chase and then all of a sudden fall in love with Ice Cube? Am I gonna get butt-fucked by Jason Momoa while we're both, I don't know, worrying about a volcano? And he said, Bobby, we just wanna make a movie that shows the world gay and straight relationships are the same. 
Love is love is love. I said, love is love is love. No, it's not. That's bullshit. That is a lie we had to make up to convince you idiots to finally treat us fairly. I thought that part was great. And I also liked when his friends um, to tell him, uh, confess that they've been in a thruple for six months. And you didn't tell me? <laughs> well, yeah, and you didn't tell me, but then also showing the guy's parents in a, yes. in a kind of a dream sequence. Hi, Grandma. Oh, hi, honey. I have some news. Yes? Peter and I are jointly fucking a third person. Ah! Oh, my goodness. It's Paul. He and Peter are jointly fucking someone else. Oh, how wonderful. It's a thruple. Oh. So there were there were these moments where there were there were these things that were inserted, which is like, oh, this is this is a little strange. Like, I like this. Um, and I think they kind of gave that up after a half hour or so. It just was kind of then it got really kind of straight on, you know, straight, um, it got straight as a little too on the nose. Um, it just became a little bit, con you know, really stale to me and a little conventional. The one late comedy scene that is so funny and is probably my second favorite scene is the post breakup gym hookup where Bobby's like now taking steroids yeah. to get big <laughs> yes. and bulky uh, uh, like Aaron and he like sees a guy do it at the chest press and like there's the slow motion turn the hat around yeah, yeah. baseball hat from front to back and like he uses a totally different whoa bro His voice, voice bro right um <laughs> and as a result like they they go home together and hook up and he forgets and in the pillow talk reverts to his usual higher voice and like that that was pretty that was pretty good i i really thought that was funny i, I have to say i thought billy eichner was great in this film i thought he was yeah. really great in it but i also think that they didn't compliment each other in, in their performances either. And it's not to say that Luke McFarlane, McFarlane isn't good. It just doesn't, they didn't make sense together. Yeah. I don't, I just don't, I've never seen him. <laughs> Rocks made a face for those of you just <laughs> listening. <laughs> um, but, but I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I've never, I'd never seen him before. So I thought, he, I thought his, the sort of little turn that he does in the, um, in the club scene where he disappears and he reappears and, and, you know, the character, they're trying to give the character some depth, but it, it just, again, those moments were too few and far between to make it, uh, make it work for like, me. Like I can't, so what what is kind of interesting to use a cliche adjective, but like surprising within this all are these moments we get with Aaron on his own, so that we we split away from Bobby's POV, and there are these glimpses into what Aaron so is going through, including with like their texting that we see him draft a text that he then changes to just as sure yep. um, that we see him have this moment at the fundraiser at the museum where he's looking around at all this, like, you know, all these big queer historical figures who did so much for queer causes. And he like looks down and like sees at a nameplate for himself that he's like a lawyer, uh, hates his job, did CrossFit. And so we we're being told that he's having, like even before he raises it in conversation with Bobby, that he's having, you know, a midlife, a gay midlife crisis of sorts as to like, who am I? What am I contributing to this world? What am I doing that I'm proud of? Um, but like it, all of that is conveyed through these, like through the mise-en-scene, right? Or through the editing. And it's like not in McFarland's performance, in my opinion. And then like when we do get to the heart-to-heart pillow -heart talk scene, I don't know what to make of the fact that, like, if he were to live his truth, he would be a chocolatier 
Um, but his fear is that that's too, and I'm quoting the movie, saggy, a profession, but that, that that's what he like turns to in the end. And I'm like, obviously, I like that it could, it's believable. Like it's a thing, but when we're putting it side by side with like Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, I'm just like so confused by the messaging that if we're supposed to be thinking about this in a broader context of like queer activism or just like agency that like I don't know living his truth is making really bougie chocolates with rainbow ribbons like it and and in the pillow talk scene itself it it, it just I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be genuinely moving confessional moment or a joke about what a what a rich like white gay having such a an epiphany would like it i can't tell if it is the thing or a joke on the thing yeah and it's not the, like he turns into an activist in that moment he, no he, he just he wants to make bougie chocolates right he donates the proceeds to his chocolates to the museum and it's like that's fine yeah. it's just weird how it's narrativized yeah, yeah. and as, bobby says at some point in that pillow talk conversation bobby says well that's just the cutest thing i've ever heard <laughs> and in a way and, and in a way that really does kind of tell you what the film thinks because it is a kind of like in the midst of some seriousness it's this kind of twee cuteness i guess yeah. like the problem is like i think i was with the film in other words sort of in sync with the film in not taking that particularly seriously like that was a laugh at moment as opposed to a laugh with moment like we're supposed to be laughing at him but the problem is he's the he's the co-protagonist so we can't think this guy's just out to lunch with this idea of being a chocolatier we have to be with him like we have to sort of be um it's sort of rooting for his psychology and, and believing in him as a whole cohesive being. And that struck me as just this, how do you want to put it? It's like a joke that exists to get a laugh and be gone. And and then you'll see them later in the scene at Provincetown on the beach after the uh, Bobby's big monologue about being... Oh my God, you, that you know, monologue. It was long. I timed it. Do you want to take a guess on how long that monologue Three is? Three and a half? I don't know. On the dot. Is that right? Oh, good 40. guess. Wow. I couldn't believe it. I thought, I thought I, I thought maybe my sense of time was being distorted <laughs> by an outside influence. It's but a long no. movie. I mean, it's it, it's not out of place in a two-hour <laughs> film. I mean, it really isn't. Yeah, but then, yeah, that's ridiculous. Three whole pages of script. Three pages. Even my dad, who was so wonderful and supportive, I remember him saying, "You know, not everyone wants to hear this gay stuff all the time." But what was I supposed to do? I mean, I'm a writer. I wanted to write about my life, my friends, my world. And I'm telling you, enough people tell you things like that, no matter how confident you are, when you're alone at night, you start to think that maybe they're right. This is where the Luke McFarlane performance, like. Like, where are the reaction shots that feel like that, so that we can, like, anchor ourselves with him and really listen instead of, like, looking around being like, is this still going on? Well, the problem in the beach scene is that he just denies it. Like, he disavows it and says, yeah, I didn't mean that. Oh, OK. Well, you didn't mean it. OK. Now we're on in some other direction. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It's it's. But again, going back to the Judd Apatow connection it wants to have its cake and eat it too it's trying to do too many things and i think having luke mcfarlane have some depth but not enough that we care about him that much 
um, puts it right there, which is like you're, you're, that was a, a time where they could have had a conversation or he could have, yes, the, the reaction could have been more genuine. He could have challenged him and they could have learned something about each other. Instead, it's like you want another beer and, the, and that's it. I have to say, I was, I was pretty... I, I was I was pretty much rooting for them by the time they go to you know Provincetown. I mean I don't I, I thought that th- those were some of the best moments that they had. Like after they had the meeting with Bone Yang's character Grape, Mister Grape, was Mister Grape. <laughs> um, and that was a very funny scene. But um, and you know, and then and also Luke Luke McFarland's character Aaron proves himself um that he has these kind of inter- you know these skills of talking to old rich people which going back to your chocolate chocolatier thing it's like that's his that's where he lives is like you know fancy chocolates and like fancy people but um it reminded me a little bit of that um the guy in that scene uh what was it well, keep your head in the game from uh from uh, high school musical do you guys remember when the <laughs> guy, when the one guy has to confess that that he he's he's really good at baking and how he's embarrassed about being good at baking and i remember at the time i was thinking that's just cool. Like, if you want to make chocolate, like, everyone around you is going to be thrilled about that. Like, I don't know. Like, in this world, in this day and age, I feel like if he was, like, came, he's coming out of the closet saying he wants to make chocolate, people are going to be like, great. I want to be your best friend. Like, yeah. I don't know. It just seems it, it seems it, like an odd thing to be It seems like it's, a, it com- it's coming at you from out of the past as opposed to yeah. coming at you from yeah, the well, present. Yeah, well, it really is. He was embarrassed by it. But in the, in the you know, in, in the past, he had to lie about it, that it was about a girl, that he, he wasn't, you know, so. But it is it is so weak to just be, like, the expression of his of his identity, his sexuality, is that he likes t- tiny, fancy chocolates. It's just, like, it's so retro. It's like, yeah, yeah. Like, right now, we're in we're not even in the moment of Instagram anymore it's like we're in the moment of the death of instagram and still there are people on instagram posting daily of of all genders and sexes and ages and races like posting videos of food and chocolate making yeah like this is just something people do all the time so yeah. it, it is kind of a little uh, like it struck me as like a throwback moment and it kind of felt you know this the fact that the slur is in that scene yeah is bound up in that kind of throwback but at the same time you know well i'll just leave it at that well it like ties in to what is really ambiguous to me as to what this film is saying about gender when i was younger i wanted to make little chocolates you wanted to make little chocolates yes. i used to tell my parents that i was going to the arcade at the mall but I would sneak off to Godiva. I just loved how all the chocolates were wrapped. And I thought about how I would design my own chocolates, how each little chocolate has its own specific, unique design on it. And that little design tells you what they're gonna taste like. So I would draw my own chocolates in in a notepad. That's all I thought about. Tiny little pretty chocolates. That's good. What was I gonna do with that though? What was I gonna be? A chocolatier? Bobby, I wasn't going to be a fucking chocolatier. I don't know. Why not? It seemed kind of faggy. Oh, my God. Aaron. Faggy? It's not faggy to spend your life making pretty little chocolates. Bobby. Okay, fine. But so what? (laughs) So you're a big fag. So am I. It's great. It's not an accident that this film was named Bros. It feels quite often that it's, again, very self-aware and making fun of slash revealing to its viewer uh this particular like nexus of anxiety um and internalized homophobia and femphobia and and i think it relates to a long many decades long discourse around flamboyancy and gay male representation in mainstream media like going back to will and grace and the like flamboyant one and the straight one 
there's the one that's palatable because he's straight presenting and the one who's like not and we can laugh at one and identify with the other um why not puzzle not just like thematize but like puzzle that binary and let Aaron have a faggy end to put it like in the you know film's own terms like why can't the bro let down the guard not enough not just to make some chocolates for an event well, he quits his job to... right i mean yeah but like the yeah. the like the 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 scene and i think it is a nice delicate little scene of him like making the chalk his first chocolates and like painting them with a paintbrush but they're again being so careful why not like throw caution to the wind and have a ridiculous montage because this movie has far too many already throw one more in and like have i don't know an apron moment i don't care you know like a just a loose in the body not like i walk like i can't move because mm -hmm. my muscles are too big moment. well like, there like, was that dancing on the beach thing that was sort of a stand-in yeah. for that which was pretty yeah i mean i i agree with you no i think i think that that could have been a sliver yeah. of femininity femininity <laughs> i mean there's a real question as to what extent billy eichner uh knows that this is a film that in a you know in a very self-conscious way is about masculinity critiquing masculinity like part of the deal here to me is that his personality like right from the outset is so like cynical snarky yeah. you know he like he's basically saying everybody's boring like the problem you know boring you know he, he critiques boring ripped idiots with no opinions they're the problem the film is even dismissive of Shit's creek which everybody loves right <laughs> yeah, so yeah. <laughs> but, like billy eichner in this film is essentially saying yeah Shit's creek eh, whatever so like that that's a that's a certain type of masculine attitude what and i think what it is i mean if you want to get to the core structure of it it's insecurity masking itself in snark Right. So like everybody's insecure and there's a certain type of masculine person who who hides away that insecurity under a blanket of snarkiness and critique of everybody else's boring and kind of, you know, like encountering, um, you know, other people's way of being and being highly dismissive of that, like right at its surface. And, and he's like that from the outset. So I guess like my question is, like, I guess I'm just not firmly convinced that the film is that the film knows what it's doing in that regard. Like it's mobilizing that attitude, but it's not critiquing it. It's not aware of it. It's not thoroughly dealing with that. And then in the end, honest to God, just drops it. Yeah. Or in the middle. Yeah. It's just kind of, yeah, yeah. He, he's really going out of his way to defend and prop up as, as his, as this is, you know, about representation and, and around the, the kind of meeting table in the conference room at the museum, you have the, these different versions of queer people, right? And these different representations of, of, of queer people. And he's the one standing up for and celebrating and propping up cisgendered uh, gay males, right? And he, he kind of goes out of his way to do that, which is like, and, and I don't know, some part of me is just like, Billy Eichner actually has this bone to pick with with the with the community right or with or with lgbtq plus individuals which is that they get, for some reason cisgender white gay males don't have as as lofty a place in the history books as they as they should and i don't i i don't know i i was sort of like wow this is the first time i've ever heard somebody kind of come right out and say like well we deserve more respect and recognition i've always sort of heard the opposite of that which is like that everybody's you know an act up or something people are looking too much at at one version of a queer person and not enough at the, at the community or the collective 
you know, that scene and there, there are other scenes like this. And I know this is my constant ref- refrain in this podcast and I sort of can't get away from it. But, you know, funny wordplay. And if you think about that, <laughs> I mean, there are some moments in this film that are just laugh out loud hilarious. But one of them is, <laughs> ass oh, pick. my God, ass pick. I was I dying. At, how did you moment. knew it? I never realized how much grinder was just like you've got mail. Smiley face. Haha, <laughs> LOL. Dick pick. No dick pick. Sorry. Think about You've Got Mail. Meg Ryan would never send you a picture of her genitalia. Ha ha, lol, lol. Can I see your ass? Don't have ass pick. Sorry. Need to see ass pick, though. Don't have ass pick. Not gonna meet up unless you send ass pick. Must see pick of ass. I was yeah. dying at that moment. Yeah. That was my hardest rock hard belly laugh in the entire film. But like another one is. <laughs> Um, you know, the the the, uh, the lesbian participant in the big group table discussion, whose name I'm forgetting, says <laughs> a lesbian wrote America, the beautiful God, Catherine no, Lee I Bates can't. wrote the lyrics on a napkin. If you go to her house in Virginia, that's a really funny. Really I don't, funny and, and line. Some of it's like you're you're laughing. You're laughing, and, and it's like all about the delivery, which is like you don't even know oh, yeah. if this is a real cliche. So Deborah Messing <laughs> says lesbians have their shit together, and it's like, do people actually feel this way? Like, yes. or, you know, it's just, yeah. And I, I don't know. I don't even know who I would I mean, ask about that. I, <laughs> that I, I will say, like, I could imagine some people watching this movie and hating when it perpetuates or at least restates uh, stereotypes or cliches. But I also do feel Bobby's thesis, I'd rather be a cliche than miserable. I'd rather be cliche than miserable. And that's how I feel. And yes, of course, we all know the problems of stereotypes and cliches and talking about demographics that are filled with millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people that change radically over time and geographical context and class status, et cetera. Yeah, and who but makes like, the stereotypes <laughs> right, yeah. But I found this fun, uh, this film did have that moment with, I want her, her lesbian, have their shit together. It is a, I don't know, I think stereotypes also used to, it. it is a... <laughs> It it is a thing. Um, I love the character of Cherry actually, and I I liked how she, when Deborah Messing calls on her, she just like yeah, of course, like she just like steps up, like it was no, she doesn't even like chuckle or say like of course I have my shit together. She was just like she's just like I got pressed into duty just now, and so I'm gonna march forward. (laughs) Right at the end of it, there was another cliche that for whatever reason really struck a chord with me, and it was when Aaron's brother Jason is encouraging him to uh, get back with Bobby and basically text him back immediately and mend fences and kind of get this back up and running again because he was actually because Aaron was actually happy. And Aaron's like, I got to go. You know, he immediately says, I got to go to the gym gym. first. (laughs) You know, I got to get myself in shape before I do this or whatever. And and Jason, his brother, says, what are you people all training for? You going to war? (laughs) And I kind of thought I kind of thought kind of. Yeah. 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 They are going to war. And in some ways, I just that that line just struck me as like really powerful. And, and but 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 based entirely on a stereotype, the stereotype that gay men take excessively good care of their bodies. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I um it, it, the, going back to the audience for a second or like, who is it for kind of question? I, I was I was sort of yeah, the, this this really does kind of it, it begs the question if if the people who are 
who are enjoying it for what it is or, or enjoying the parts you enjoy and maybe calling out some things that you didn't and, and having some problems with its length or its structure or whatever else or its depth of, of character development. Um, and then the, and those people aren't shocked by anything that they're seeing on screen. Like, like myself, I would include myself in this. Who who is it? Who is it radical for? And are those people already decided that I don't want to watch this because it's gross, or I don't want to watch this because it's about two guys, and I find that to be repellent? So like, what like who who are the people that are supposed to be kind of coming to this as as you know innocence and saying, well, I, actually, I, I found this to be kind of okay. Like you know, I, I don't know. Like, are there people out there like that, or have they already made up their minds? Like, whose whose mind is this supposed to be changing? I guess is my question. I don't know. It's like a really a delicate like. Like people who might be more open to like sex positivity or like, you know, casual sex. The non-monogamy jokes are just so consistent and fairly like one note. It seems to like draw a line in the sand. You know, this movie is certainly not for people into group sex or non Like the joke is on the group sex. Just do your beautiful <laughs> cis white man thing and <laughs> stop being so self-conscious because then you it's weird when you have these moments where someone who isn't as normatively beautiful is like left, you know, is like shunned aside. Like that feels so awkward when he's the kissing one strong. of their shoulders on the outside of the <laughs> circle. And then he yeah. nakedly gets up into the middle of the three of them. And yeah. Yeah. And for me, this, this relates to the wider cast too. Like I do think, I think Bowen Yang's Mr. Grave pitching a haunted house of gay trauma is so funny. I think Harvey, fire scene showing up in his little moment doing his Harvey fire scene thing is both funny and surprisingly moving. Um, Deborah Messing does Deborah Messing. But the others, which is often to say, um, not all, but some of like the queer of color characters gathered throughout the mise-en-scene, like, don't get to live in their fullest. And I don't mean like even in terms of narrative, because I'm saying even if this is a story about Aaron and Bobby, yes. But like the throuple, the third in that throuple who leaves is Simone, who is one of the most powerful winners of RuPaul's Drag Race. And that we don't get to see her in drag, that we just get like boring boy Simone is just like such a bummer to me. But she's still there for those of us like me who recognize her, right? Like, so like, how is that for me? Like, like she's yeah, supposedly yeah. there for me, but not in drag, not being so fierce. And um, there's this like trans mask couple too who's at the table, and one of them um, is a Sri Lankan American stand-up comedian, Dilo, who gets to not be funny. So let the drag queen be a drag queen. Let the stand-up be funny. But no, they're just like there to be there. I mean, I, and I guess it's telling, too, that like the one person who I really kind of immediately connected with is Guy Branham, who used to be on Chelsea Handler. And I just thought was fucking so hilarious funny. on that show. So great. And to see him in this film many years later, like, I mean, a decade later, doing a really, I thought, great performance as this pal of Bobby. Right. He was hysterical. And but that but that's very telling, too, because he's supposed to be cis white male right so like everybody who's kind of like in the bobby realm of things gets like showcased and others sort of get marginalized and i think that's really telling yeah but still not sexualized so like so the guy branham and harvey firestein like aren't supposed to be sexually appealing so it's like even within that demo it's like supposedly a movie about a less normatively attractive and aka jewish as opposed to waspy like gay white man 
um, reconciling where she falls in this like beauty hierarchy, but it's still recreating it further. We, we, but but uh, you know, but they do kind of show a picture of him younger. younger you yes. hot, yeah. they say and they, give, this, they do and then, give him. And then with the with the friend character, um, you know, the uh, they talk. He's talking about his sex life a lot. So it's not that they're, they're yes, they're, they're, I understand that they're not conventionally attractive in the way that Aaron is, but they're they are they they are talking about their sex lives. And he says, "Let yeah. me know if you want to fuck." And, and you know, yeah. and they kind of go, "Okay," like you know. Although so it's played it's, as a joke, but it's that's played. That's played. They're not considering it. I know, but it's 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 also yeah. I mean, but I I don't I don't think it was as it could have been. Where worse, is that group sex? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. But but I think like the the one thing that maybe. We're overlooking and you know it's 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 super obvious is that billy eichner is not conventionally spectacular looking either and even points to the fact that you know like the thing with his chest which i can't remember what Concave. it's called Little right bird so bath. Yeah. when bath he <laughs> the bird bath so he very like pointedly calls attention to his own physique as being you, you know kind of like it's hard to talk about this stuff because like when you talk about air when you think about aaron conventionally super attractive right like everybody sort of looks at this guy and thinks oh my god that guy's face like who looks like that in reality so you just don't see people that are that good looking in reality but you absolutely see people who look just like billy eichner in reality and are kind of in that realm of things and he's he's the center of the film right so like in some sense an unconventional look or at the at the very least i would say a kind of normal look like he's just a normal looking guy He's at the center of the film. But that's why I'm saying the movie is saying very often that it's about that. Like that it's yeah. and that and that it's about the broness and questioning it. But then it also these things just could be pushed further. And like like why not have the nerdy guy join them in a group sex and at first they're like awkward because that's not what they were thinking. But then they get into it. You know what I mean? Like there are ways or- like, or he's the sexual rock star. Yeah. Like they didn't realize it at first. But yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I just think there's moments where it defies the thesis it's going for. And I think this very movie could exist, but like take its own chances further. It could have just done what it does bigger and better, but also made for a smaller budget and on a streaming platform. You know, I don't know. Like it's like, it's trying. It's trying. Did anybody look up the the director Nicholas Stoller's filmography? Okay, we got we got 2008's Forgetting Sarah Marshall. We have 2010's Get Him to the Greek. We have 2012's The Five Year Engagement. We have 2014's Neighbors with our old friend Zac Efron. We <laughs> have 2016's Neighbors Two: Sorority Rising, and Storks did two in that year, and then. 2022's bros so we might this have been different if he if this was a this was a gay director i mean might might this have might some of these things have been handled differently if this was a if this was a queer director or if indeed billy eichner directed it himself or i I don't know i just i wonder why this director was chosen why was this director chosen for this it just seems like a strange choice they co-wrote the script together so i i would guess that they have a relationship and a connection it's just i don't know he i found i found him to be a strange choice maybe maybe it's his it's his influence on the script the screenplay as much as anything else um, that it just was too, it was too in the Judd Apatow um, universe for me to to really get into. I mean, the direction is basic. I, I don't know how else to put it. Like, you just look at this film and you think, okay, so, like, somebody directed this. Anybody could have directed this. There's nothing special about the way this is directed. It, it's 
you know, like, so it, it gets the content across. So it's just standard, good old fashioned IMR. Which is, which is to say it's delivering the script, which is where I right. would be like, a little more work could have been done there. And that's seemingly on Stoller and Eichner. Would you suggest this film to, to a close friend or colleague? I'd recommend you try this movie three for three months before reevaluating. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. That's pretty clever. <laughs> I think like I would recommend this film to to some people and not others and and I I just think you know the people who are I don't know like I think if you if you go into this in the most generous way possible you're going to get a lot of laughs out of this film like I found the film to be like first pass viewing really funny multiple times I don't laugh easily I laughed a lot at this film so I thought the fact that it was generating Rock hard belly laughs <laughs>, laughs was pretty. I was just trying not to say it so hard. RHBLs. Right. <laughs> yep. RHBLs. What's the RHBL count on this film? <laughs> Many RHBLs. And I just think like so if you're in it for just kind of that kind of fun. But the problem for me, and I just I'm never probably going to get past this, is that I simply don't think that uh, hardcore political messaging mixes well with comedy like i think the sincerity that's required in some of the scenes to um convey the kind of history of lgbtq uh, to, to convey lgbtq history in certain scenes which the film in the most i think genuine and honest and very real way wants to do is kind of not consistent or commensurate with the types of comedy that we get and it's it, it feels just like jarring so like I like I feel like oh my gosh that is really worth thinking about and then then some guy like starts singing a song from Peter Pan really loud in the camera you know so it, it's it's so like it's like ripping me back and forth yeah. and it's it's just it's um what's the word for that like it's jarring you know it feels like the like I'm in a car and the car is like running into trees and then flying down the highway at eighty miles an hour speaking of trauma. <laughs> I would say if you like if you like Judd Apatow movies, you're gonna like this. Like I honestly would. I hate to I hate to harp on this, but I really I really feel like this is more like a Judd Apatow movie than anything else. It doesn't really feel transgressive or revolutionary to me at all. It just feels like a Judd Apatow movie. So if you like those, you'll like it. They all have crappy third acts. They, those films they can't figure out how to land it. Like they're funny and funny and funny and funny and funny, and then they get sincere, and I'm like, I don't want sincere. Just end the film at that. This point. had sincere, like every other scene too. So and it yeah. didn't didn't land for me. So yes and no. Rox, would you recommend this film? Give it a watch. Send Billy his money. More more gay rom com. Watch Fire Island. Thanks, Blake. Thank you, Blake, so much for for calling this in. I, I had a lot of fun. Thank you, Blake. Recommended for you is a Clark University podcast. All opinions expressed are those of the faculty participants. If you'd like to recommend a film for an upcoming episode of RFU, email us at rfu at clarku.edu. That's rfu at clarku.edu. Or you can leave a voicemail with your suggestion at 508-798-4355. The Recommended for You podcast is produced by Andrew Hart for Clark University. Music by Jimmy Jackson. RFU logo by AJ Simmons. I mean, who, I'll just say it, who wouldn't have sex with Harvey Firestein? Like, he's just so funny. <laughs> we finally so got to the cool. reason that we started this podcast. We're going to go around. <laughs> Andrew, you have to, you have to participate as well. <laughs>
Who would not have sex with Harvey Firestein? It had to be said. Fine. This is a safe space. I'm creating space. I'm creating space for you. Harvey Firestein is on everyone's cheat list. You can't convince me otherwise. (laughs) How long is that list? (laughs) 